Hello, I'm Ray Wright, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared and host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS industry thought leaders, executives, and people just like you to discuss what metrics, KPIs, and benchmarks they use to enable better data-driven metrics-informed decisions that accelerate revenue performance and increase enterprise value. Now, on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by John Miller, co-founder of two industry-changing marketing technology brand names, Marketo and Engageo. Today, we will be covering three main areas with John. One, the MarTech's evolution in John's journey across the MarTech landscape over the last 20 years, from Epiphany to Marketo to Engageo, now Demandbase. We'll discuss B2B marketing metrics that matter today and how those evolved over the years. And lastly, we'll talk about what it's like to see a company that you founded evolve even to the point of either selling the company or leaving the company. John, please take a moment to give our audience a brief background of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Major Up podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me here. And it's great to hang out and talk with another early marketing automation old timer. Yeah, so it's funny, I've, I've somehow stumbled into pretty much spending my entire career in marketing technology. I actually studied physics for my undergraduate degree and actually always thought I would go into physics as a career. I you know, ended up getting accepted to MIT for a PhD program, but I kind of wanted to just check out the whole business world before I committed to a life in academia. And so when I graduated, I deferred MIT and I got a job at a management consulting company. And it's interesting, I think because of my quantitative background, I ended up really working on a bunch of like the really kind of analytical projects, which led me to actually get recruited into a boutique consulting firm called Exchange Partners. And Exchange Partners is really specializing in what we would today call CRM, CRM analytics. But how do you understand customers and the value different customers bring to the table? And what we realized at Exchange Partners, and again, this is like 1995, was that the world needed technology to support the kinds of recommendations we were making with the consulting and went into buying this old mainframe-based campaign management software solution and then called it Exchange Applications, which then eventually was very successful selling this kind of analytical marketing software tool to run campaigns. It ended up eventually rebranding just as Exchange and went public. I think in 1998, and arguably was one of the leading marketing technology platforms of kind of the late 90s when you were hanging out in the industry. I then left to go to grad school, business school. And when I was graduating, I ended up working at a company called Epiphany, which was kind of fortuitous. You know, Epiphany was just entering into the campaign management, early marketing automation space. They'd already had to build a strong analytics solution, but they were entering this new space. And frankly, the fact that I had even the loosest connection back to this exchange company was enough for them to take a chance and hire me. And so that's how I ended up working as a product manager at Epiphany. And Epiphany went on to be the number one marketing platform of the internet bubble. So kind of, you know, 1999 to early 2000s. That was a great experience. I spent seven years there and we eventually sold Epiphany to a company called SSA Global in 2005. And that's when I hooked up with Phil Fernandez. 
who had been Epiphany's president chief operating officer. And we both had a shared view that marketing technology like Epiphany was like super powerful, but the industry had always been held back because it was too hard to buy. It's too expensive. It was a capital investment, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get up and running. And in 2005, software as a service was just becoming mainstream. And so Phil and I had the vision of a powerful marketing technology platform that could be as easy to buy for marketers as like Google AdWords. You know, they could just buy it with their existing program dollars and get up and running really quickly. And that's what led us to found Marketo in late 2005, early 2006. So Marketo was just a great example of kind of the right solution at the right time. It was right as software as a service was taking off. And it was right when the marketers were really realizing the need for better technology to help them capture leads, nurture the ones that weren't ready, work with sales. Just the internet and online buying created so much change in how people wanted to research and buy solutions. And Marketo had just the right solution at the right time for meeting kind of that broad need. So I spent nine years at Marketo. Great experience. Obviously, we had an IPO. But after nine years, it just felt a little big. (laughs) We'll get to this more in a little bit, but it stopped really feeling like my baby and started just feeling like a place I was working. And I was craving for something else, kind of having that feeling of it sort of being my own thing again. And we'll talk more about this, but I saw the opportunity to build yet the next generation of marketing technologies, you know, driven by the rise of account-based marketing. So I, in uh, 2015, I left Marketo finally and started Engageo. And we had a great run there, uh, built one of the leading ABM platforms. But after five years, what I realized is just like the market was moving so fast. The vision of what I wanted to build was so huge that ultimately it made sense to combine Engageo with the largest player in our category, demand base, and that the combined solution would be the complete platform. So in June, we merged Engageo and demand base. And now here we are a couple months later, and I am running product for demand base. And we're about to announce our integrated platform, which is exciting. <laughs> that's, you know, that's kind of my journey through MarTech to get to where I am today. John, it's an amazing journey you've been on. And I remember back in 1999 and 2000, when you were at Epiphany, I was at a first generation marketing automation company called Market First. And even though it was designed to be a enterprise piece of software, we quickly evolved within six to nine months after I arrived to selling it on a subscription basis as a ASP model. The reason being because marketers had campaign and program budget, they couldn't buy software, but they could definitely buy a subscription service, which led to your same thing with Marketo. So congratulations on your journey. And I have a question. So MarTech, right? You look at the chief MarTech landscape, we have 8,000 plus companies in the MarTech industry today. Yeah. How have you seen in the last two to three years with all these companies and all this noise, What's the most fundamental changes you've seen in the B2B MarTech landscape just recently? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's funny. I think that the biggest changes are really forces to question some of the assumptions that were built into the tools like Marketo. So for example, when we built Marketo, it was very much a linear baton handoff sales and marketing process. Literally, marketing would generate a lead and it would hand it, you know, would urge it till it's ready and would hand it to sales or an SDR at the right time. And then the SDR would hand it to sales, sales would close it and hand it off to a customer success person. But buying and selling is looking really different today. You have new sales engagement tools like Outreach and Sales Loft, which means that you've got sales teams doing more prospecting 
of their own at the top of the funnel than ever before. And then at the same time, buying committees are getting larger and larger and larger. And we're doing more account-based work, which means that there's more need for marketing support later in the sales cycle. Talking to the whole buying committee, more people than the salesperson can ever be talking to one-on-one. And so there's just this kind of non-linear buying process going on is one major change. And the model has to evolve instead of being a baton handoff to more of like a soccer or football team where you have players in different positions that are passing the ball back and forth. So I think that's one big change. A second big change is a lot more research is happening off of our website before it ever happens on our website. And so the model of just kind of waiting with your net for somebody to show up on your website and then to capture them, increasingly that's looking like it's too late. We need the ability to monitor what people are doing out on the open web and using those signals, intent signals, to sort of predict when is the right time to be reaching out to companies. And then the last big change I'll talk about I think is really we've seen a massive increase in recurring revenue models, which means that companies get more of their revenue after the initial sale than they do in that first new business. And the problem is marketers historically are very focused on net new business. So we're increasingly seeing a mismatch between the sort of new business focus and the way that marketers work and they're measured, which we'll talk about in a sec, to where companies are really kind of getting their revenue. So if you kind of bring this all together, right, there's the move to a more orchestrated sales and marketing process, the move to need to reach out to companies before they ever come to your website, and the need to focus, you know, not just on initial business, but pre and post sale, right? It's really making kind of the traditional MarTech stack looking increasingly antiquated. Yeah, there was a lot of data you just shared there, and I could go down each of those four in a lot of detail, but let me try to kind of pull back, because one of the things that you mentioned was it's nonlinear. It's not from generate a lead to close a deal to support it. In fact, if you look at net dollar retention, which really measures not only maintaining a customer, but how do you cross out upsell to that customer, it's a more important KPI for enterprise value today than even top line growth, which is hard to believe. But mm-hmm. let's talk about how that change from a non-linear customer journey has impacted the metrics that a marketing organization should really care about and matter. Because one of the biggest issues we face with a lot of our customers is just generating leads or having a lead commit for marketing that's not really giving the sales organization what they need. So talk to us a little bit about the metrics that matter today, John, for marketers. Yeah. So I think historically marketers have focused probably too much, I think, on vanity metrics that are really just about counting things. You know, how many leads did I generate? How many people showed up at my webinar? How many retweets did I get? You know, you name it. And some of those might sound good, Right. Like, oh, hey, a thousand people. Right. But increasingly, I, we're realizing it's not measuring fundamentally what really, really matters to the business. And what really matters to the business is, frankly, you know it if it's things that the CFO or the CEO care about. Right. And then at the end of the day, that comes down to pipeline, comes down to actual revenue dollars. It comes down to ROI. And so obviously, the more we can speak the language of business, the more credibility we're going to have as a marketer. 
I once read a study that asked marketers, how much more revenue could you generate if you were given 10% more budget? And can you guess what the most common answer was? The most common answer was, I don't know. And when you think about it, if you can't answer that question, you're not going to be asked that, that question. You're going to be basically told to figure out what to do with 10% less budget. Yeah. You can't value the budget, then you can't expect the rest of the company to do so. So the metrics that matter really are things that are, are about pipeline and revenue and ROI. But here's the problem. The problem is that a lot of those metrics take a really long time to deliver results, you know, especially in this new world where you've got sales and marketing teams kind of working together over very long, basically opportunity creation cycles, you know, if you will. So we also, in addition to those sort of hardcore revenue metrics, need leading indicators that are the signposts that sort of tell us, are we getting closer to where we need to be? And again, I'll, I'll use a simple football analogy here. You will obviously want to make the touchdown. And at the end of the day, that's the only metric that really, really matters. <laughs> but knowing what yard line you're on tells you a lot about how you're doing. You know? <laughs> and if you're moving the ball forward, it tells you a lot about how you're doing. And so really kind of what I recommend is break your process. If you want to call it the buyer's journey or the seller's journey, I don't really care, but break it up into a defined set of stages, like your yard lines on the football field, that you can start to track how are my accounts moving? Where are they? What is the conversion rate from stage to stage? And how long does it take them to move? And so you know, those leading indicators are a metric that matter. And then the, the last piece I'll throw in here as you alluded to, is it's not just about the new business. It is about the post-sale and the expansion and the retention. And those are dollars that matter and they need their own leading indicators against those sort of different buyers' journeys. So the more you can really focus on the dollar, the metrics that matter, the dollars, and then break the leading indicators into discrete stages, I think the better off you're going to be. John, I'm going to build upon that a little bit because this was a fundamental foundational pillar that we built RevOps Squared on. And that is what are the metrics that you can measure up the efficiency of your process? And let's talk about customer acquisition. So beyond looking at the percentage of pipeline that's driven from marketing initiatives, looking at the percentage of new customer close one ARR that's measured, you also, of course, want to measure the percentage of existing customer expansion new ARR that's generated from marketing initiatives. We went one level deeper and we talk about marketing CAC ratio. Because to your point in a couple of minutes ago, how do you know how much new ARR you can generate from a million dollars of investment and in not only marketing, but a million dollars of incremental investment in sales development? or a million dollars of incremental investment in sales and account-based selling and account-based marketing. Yeah. So we're promoting this concept of every go-to-market organization should have a CAC ratio, so marketing CAC ratio, on two dimensions. One is just overall, so you take the amount of marketing dollars invested, fully loaded, divide that by the amount of new ARR or expansion ARR, unattributed, but then we also look at attributed revenue. And we're saying, just look at the number of inbound leads that convert to an opportunity and closed ARR. And that's your attributed marketing CAC ratio. 
What do you think of that as being an important KPI for marketing today? Well, I think it has a lot to do with how orchestrated your sales process is. And what I mean by that is if you're primarily an inbound revenue engine where the business does come or tend to start with marketing generating a lead and then passing it off to sales, then I think you can do kind of more direct attribution of this was a marketing generated pipeline versus a sales generated pipeline. But the more orchestrated your process is, where it's really, wow, marketing's running ads. And at the same time, sales development is calling in and sending customized white papers that marketing created. And you're doing this kind of truly orchestrated play. At that point, I don't think there's any such thing as a marketing generated opportunity or a sales generated opportunity. I think you just do have the us generated opportunities. And so... I think your total pipeline divided by total marketing investment metric is a great one. The sort of marketing generated pipeline divided by marketing spend, if you will, I think is a little bit more specific based on the nuances of how well attribution works for your go-to-market. Right. Because then you get into the internal political debate on what is attribution? How do you really measure marketing attribution versus SDR attribution? Exactly. agree. Again, if it's a simple model, it can work. But if you have any sort of complex go-to-market, it's much harder. But that is really one foundational catalyst to the next topic I wanted to discuss with you. And that is alignment. So you talked about in today's world, it's harder to delineate whether it was a marketing generated or sales generated or sales development generated. But there's also a lot of internal friction that happens because they're trying to measure that attribution and they spend more time saying whether it was marketing or sales versus how are we executing on overall customer acquisition, customer expansion. So there's been this topic of not only revenue operations to try to integrate the internal operations of marketing, sales, and customer success to mirror the customer journey, but they've also evolved to, well, we need a head of this integrated go-to-market function, whether it's a chief revenue officer or a chief client customer officer. John, how important do you think having one leader or an integrated go-to-market team across all three of those functions is to gaining true alignment and making the customer experience better? I think it's a great idea and concept, and it is a very difficult idea to make work in practice. So that, that bias I have a little bit is honestly from an experience from Marketo, where we actually had a true CRO. You know, which had sales, marketing, and customer success all underneath him. You know, and, and it wasn't just like a CRO that had a head of sales and a head of marketing, a head of customer success, as he, his three direct reports. We literally had an integrated revenue team. You know, so there were different sales leaders and different marketing leaders all reporting up to this one CRO. And we changed. After a little over a year with that org structure, we moved away from it. The challenge is the guy who's running this was a very strong executive, you know, very experienced, successful executive. It's just, at the end of the day, I think, you know, the skills you need to be great at marketing and the skills you need to be great at sales and customer success are just very, very different. And so the trying to say one leader is somehow going to like be able to be great at leading both those functions, I've, I've not really seen that, if at all. So I think a better answer is you want to have a sales leader. You want to have a marketing leader. 
Now, I don't have any problem with that sales leader also in a B2B business owning customer success and renewals because those just go so hand in hand and, and those are very similar motions. But so you have your revenue leader and your marketing leader and they just have to be great partners, strong alignment. And to the extent that you need, you want kind of one leader leader, well, that's your CEO. And I think that's just the way it needs to be. You know, John, I don't disagree with you don't need the organization structure of having a CXO leading sales, marketing, customer success. However, we are heavily promoting shared goals, that the goals of the marketing executive and the goals of the revenue or sales executive, they need to share some of those common things like what is my overall ARR growth rate? What is my CAC ratio or CAC payback period versus having independent goals? Does that make sense as a, oh, a form of alignment? Yeah. As I said, you're one football team, yep. you know, and if you're on a football team where half the team thinks you're going for a touchdown and half the team thinks you're going for a field goal, that's not going to work, you know? So you can have players in different positions responsible for different things, but you have to be hundred percent aligned on the same goal. Now, I'm going to ask that because you went from Marketo, which was generating a lot of great pipeline for all kinds of companies, to an Engageo, it was really focused on this concept of account-based marketing and account-based customer acquisition. Are the goals or metrics for account-based initiatives any different than a non-account-based customer acquisition model? Yeah, really good question. I think the best answer I've seen to it actually comes from an analyst firm called Topo, where they talk about the double funnel. So let me explain kind of what that is. In an account-based world, we've sort of always preached the, like a metric of, let's say the marketing qualified account or the MQA. And that's a little bit of a play on your classic marketing qualified lead or MQL. And so, yeah, so to that degree, you're going to, possibly have a set of account-based metrics in your ABM model. All the way back to the yard lines I talked about earlier and the breaking the process into journey stages. In your ABM model, that probably is a set of account-based stages. Whereas your traditional demand gen lead-based model, usually that's your classic MQL, SQL, SAL, you know, lead-based stages, if you will. I've seen companies go crazy trying to come up with a grand unified theory. Well, maybe it's all MQAs, but an account is an MQA if they have at least one MQL. And the honest truth is, I don't think that's the right approach. And the right approach is the topo double funnel. You use lead-based metrics for your lead-based go-to-market. You use account-based metrics for your account-based go-to-market. And they come together at the opportunity. Okay, let's take that a step further because customer expansion is more and more important to yep. enterprise value today. So how does ABM, ABS, call it what you will, how does that play and how does it get customer expansion, John? Yeah, well, there's an operational component that just comes into play here. If you don't have a good account-based lens, right? Imagine what happens if a company owns product X, your product X, and you have some new person kind of show up on the website and download some information about product Y. If you don't have the ability to think with an account-based lens, you're gonna just potentially follow up with that, that new inquiry as like a brand new lead, which is not the appropriate thing to do. You don't even wanna route it to your new business SDR, right? You right. wanna route it to your person who's responsible for expansion. 
So it starts with like, you just need to have this account-based infrastructure to just understand kind of the routing. But that kind of wasn't answering your question directly. Ultimately, what you want is the ability to track interest and engagement in additional products for companies that are already existing customers, and then use that to create MQAs or whatever you call it, you know, around expansion. And you can do that using like intent data. Again, you might have a company, they own product X, but now they show intent for product Y. You should follow up. Or by tagging engagement signals with your marketing based upon the products or solutions that those signals kind of show interest for. There's lots of kind of different subtle ways you can do it to kind of really understand product interest across unique buying centers. That answer was really, really focused on expansion, which probably that's all I should really focus on right now. I mean, obviously there's some people who would talk about retention as well, but that also gets into kind of customer success metrics. Yeah. Just one more thing before we pivot to our last topic. That is, do you have an opinion on an expansion? You get that you know, intent-based signal coming in from an existing account and whether it is granular enough to say it's a different product or not, who do you believe should be the person who follows up on that potential intent signal? Is it customer success? Is it field sales or inside sales that's responsible for that account? Or does it not matter? I, I think it has a lot to do with, honestly, the way your organization is structured. I mean, at Marketo, we had... SDRs specifically responsible for following up on customer interest because you know it was important enough motion to us. At a lot of places, it's the account manager or the account director type of thing. Uh, another thing that I've seen work pretty well is that if you have customer success managers who are not the same people as responsible for expansion and, and retention, if you will, that they effectively get almost some kind of like spiff or tip for passing product interest over to the other team. And that can kind of help create alignment. Yeah. And we recommend to, once again, it's nuanced. So it depends on organizational structure and quite frankly, product type and your customer expansion motion. But we're recommending that customer success for the most part should have some incentive to identify upsell, cross-sell opportunities but not be responsible for the actual selling and closing of that because it can taint their reputation with the account on that they're their advocate. They're trying to help them optimize and maximize solution engagement and solution value. Mm -hmm. So let me pivot to the last thing. And that is, and we're kind of, this is a theme for the Metrics That Measure Up podcast in November. And that is, you have an amazing success story with Marketo. But after nine years, you left before, you know, Marketo's existence was over because it hadn't been acquired and formed Engageo. And then at Engageo, after five years, as you mentioned earlier, you sold the company, handed over the reins as CEO to be the chief product officer. Can you talk to our listeners, especially those founders who might be going through a process to say, you know, maybe it's time for me to take a new role or even exit a company. Can you talk a little bit about that experience for you? Yeah. You know, I, I sort of talked a little bit about the Marketo one, and I've heard this from other non-CEO founders. Because if you're not the CEO, as the company you built grows, almost by definition, the scope of your role is going to narrow and become more specialized. Just because you're going to hire more executives to do more things and each time you hire somebody, you take one of your many hats off and hand it to somebody else. 
And that growth is exciting. But again, after nine years of it for me, I was really focused on a more narrow piece of marketing. And I'm like, okay, it's a pretty good job, but I'm kind of craving doing more. And that's ultimately what led me to sort of seek the second time founder entrepreneurial experience. And I was so fortunate that Marketo had been such a success that I was able to leverage that into Engageo. The Engageo story is different, right? I mean, for the Engageo story, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm driven by a mission to build the next great marketing platform. And the Engageo, I'm really proud of what we did. We built an amazing platform. We had 240 customers and so on. But when I sat down with demand base and I looked at what we could do if we joined forces, it was literally like a two to three year leap into the future. Literally every single thing that I wished I could have built into the Engageo platform, I got from demand base and vice versa. Every little thing that demand base had on their two-year roadmap, they got from Engageo. And so it was almost like, and you're not going to see very many mergers like this, where it's quite such a perfect combination. But this is one that literally, it almost had to happen. And so is it hard to no longer be the CEO? Absolutely. It's hard. But Gabe Rogal, demand based CEO, is awesome. And we work really, really well together, which is essential to kind of making this work. And I'm excited and I'm jazzed up because of the vision of how these joint platforms are going to come together. So again, I'll, I'll wrap with just my advice is selling your company is always a really, really traumatic experience. It's really hard. <laughs> And nine times out of 10, the best answer for the founder is the sooner you can leave, the better. Just because it's just so hard to kind of see what happens to your baby. But if you are going to stick around, like I'm doing with demand base, the only answer, the only thing you can do is be all in. 100% like I am committed to making this new thing successful. And you burn the boats on your old and just 100% focus on the new. And again, that, that's what I'm doing with demand base. John, you said something that I think is so important. And I want to maybe just reframe it or restate it because I think it's so important for our listeners to walk away from. You were driven by creating the best marketing platform available for your customers. And that took priority and precedence over the sense of whether it was pride as being the CEO or your baby. And I think that says a lot about you. And I think it says a lot about customers who are thinking about investing in the Engageo and demand-based solution, that they're getting it from an organization that's focused on the value they deliver, not on your own personal benefit. I think that's great. Thank you. So thank you, John, so much for joining me today on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. And I look forward to watching the demand-based journey and seeing you realize that vision that you have. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit RevOpsquared.com.